0: Hey, everybody, happy Tuesday, and welcome to the July 7th episode of the Variety and iHeart Podcast, The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Coming up today, three very special guests from three very different projects. First up, Emmy Award winner Uzo Aduba talks about transforming into the late trailblazing politician Shirley Chisholm in Mrs. America, an FX series about the fight to pass the ERA in the 70s and 80s. Then Shira Haas. She's one of this year's biggest breakout stars for her work as Estee the Orthodox Jew who flees her Hasidic community in Brooklyn for a much different life in Berlin. Haas talks about her unlikely start in the business and exclusively reveals the good luck gift her grandmother gave her shortly after she auditioned for Unorthodox. And then I've got Matt Bomer. It's his second time with The Big Ticket. He's here to chat about his work as a serial killer in the sinner, plus find out about the time he was in talks to star in Call Me By Your Name. We have a big show coming up. You don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the big ticket. Uzo Aduba won two Emmys for her work as Suzanne Crazy Eyes Warren on Orange Is the New Black, and now she's in the running for some new television gold from Mrs. America, the FX series about the fight to pass the ERA in the '70s and '80s. Is an ensemble led by Kate Blanchett as right wing firebrand Phyllis Schlafly and Rose Byrne as liberal icon Gloria Steinem. Aduba plays Shirley Chisholm, the first Black woman to be elected to Congress in 1968 and the first woman to seek the Democratic presidential nomination in
1: 1972.
2: Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? I'm good, how are you? Long time no see. How
0: are you in the world upside down?
2: I am doing okay. Okay, like, um, the days are ever changing, I guess I would say. It's like... The feeling, in terms of the feelings, oh, yeah, God, let's move this closer. Um, because, you know, I will say that, like, supreme, the top feeling that I have is hopeful. But then, like, the feeling, like, right under that is the question: Why? Why? All to all of it. Why another death? Why are the cases? Why are we not wearing masks? Why? Our, do the cases continue to go up? Why are we digging our heels in the sand to make a point? Why are we not leading as a leader should? Why are, I mean, that is my underlying, that is the underlying symptom to me being but, okay, you
0: know? So then what, what makes you hopeful then if there's all these whys with no or answers? <laughs> with no answers? What makes yeah. me hopeful?
2: What makes me hopeful is that it's more than a hashtag. It's more than a post. Um, that it hasn't stopped um, in terms of the insistence and the persistence coming out of everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think in any other season, I know this is the you know thing everybody's talking about that perhaps it was a coke a COVID was necessary for all of these awakenings to be happening from. You know, you think about it, it it feels almost like decades ago when we started COVID and we were talking about how the planet was changing just from everybody being inside, you know, and you were here, I don't know about you, right. but here in New York, you know, let's say a week, two weeks in, I felt like I was back in my hometown, all the birds I was hearing every morning. (laughs) In New York? Exactly, literally. It would be like... And I was like... You're
0: like, wait a (laughs) minute. Pigeons? (laughs) Pigeons sing? Do they sing?
2: (laughs) They've got quite a voice, you know, like that kind of... You've got quite a tune, you know what I mean? Like literally, and, and still... You know, it's that sound everywhere. Right. You would see all these, you know, news stories about the, you know, the planet sort of, I don't know if cleansing itself is the word, what, but that feels like miles ago. And now we're watching this next um, cleansing that's happening. Um, that also feels important. And that gives me hope, you know, my, I, I think I feel hopeful um, because of the disturbance and the disruption feels advancing and progressive in the end, if people who are insistent on seeing change. My friend said, um, um, this is now probably, I don't know, maybe like three weeks ago. I said, I mean, it just feels like the world is turning upside down. And I said, you know, I don't, I don't know if the world is turning upside down or if the world is turning right side up. You know, I think it might be turning itself right by, right side <laughs> up. And either way, that feels, you feel a shift.
3: Yep. And,
2: you know, and it can be easy to mistake that as not good. But I, I I, I, don't know. Maybe it's a Pollyanna in me. I don't know. That feels like a
0: good is coming. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think, you know, obviously I've spoken to you. I've spoken to a lot of people in the last, because that's all I do. I sit at home and I think people. <laughs> um, but it's everyone is hopeful i think you have to be if you're not hopeful then where are you at that's right you know if if you're if you're not hopeful it doesn't encourage you to move forward to into action because yeah. it's if you're not hopeful you just sit there and it's like it is mm-hmm. what it is mm-hmm. um but i also think like you said there's a pollyanna where we just we want to believe like The world's going to get better or, like you say, shift uh, right side up. Mm -hmm. Um, And obviously we won't know that until we get there. And who knows if that's in our lifetime.
2: Right. And that I don't know. But what I do that exactly that is what I don't know. But what I do know, young people, especially, you know, and I mean, like down all the way to teenagers, Mark, Mm -hmm. are energized and what is what may, you know the thing that makes me feel hopeful is that they are galvanizing themselves you know that they are organizing themselves it's not you know a pocket here a pocket they are they have found a network and a community to really Put, mobilize their actions and make their voices heard. So, like, I agree to your point. I don't know what the fi- whether the final destination is, you know, next week or next year or not. Mm-hmm. But I do know that there's no way these remarkable generations that are born every few decades, you know, mm-hmm. that don't I don't know a version that doesn't push something forward. Right. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. When you yeah, look I mean, at those ones who just aren't going to stop. Right. They- because it's, <laughs> what
0: what would make them stop? What would all of a sudden change all of their outlook to something that's not hopeful, not wanting change? Um, how do you think Hollywood deals with it? We know we get a lot of hashtags, like you said. Mm-hmm. We get, um, you know, during the protests and during George Floyd, we got a lot of, you know, Instagram posts from studios and from Mm -hmm. everyone saying we've had enough, we have to do better. Mm -hmm. We've heard this stuff before. Um, Do you think it's lasting and do you think it really will make change in Hollywood?
2: I think it will have to, because Mm -hmm. here's the thing, like we just touched on this next generation and I think so too everybody who's now co- a, a good portion of who's come before them has been activated. And what mm-hmm. we know is maybe like the the really, really older sets may shift back. but what's clear is these people of a- these young activists, these young people are not shifting back to your point. So I really think, what's different about this group is they vote not only in the ballot but with their dollars and i think like they recognize their activism is bigger than just tweeting, posting, marching. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. are they are savvy and smart and purposeful consumers and i think whether The industry comes willingly or kicking and screaming. It will have to shift if it hopes to survive. Mm. That is what I think is going. I don't know if X studio, X exec, whatever thing, name one, whatever, is going to themselves be proactively changed. Mm. My hope is that one will be smart enough to see the changing tide and recognize mm-hmm. if I want to be a part of the ecosystem, a surviving member of the the global ecosystem, the demand, the demands have shifted. Right. And I have to now meet demand. And um, so the hope is that. And I mean, I've said this for years, like when we started, you know, on Orange and we were, we were having a conversation about the TV landscape shifting, which right. has <laughs> shifted, you know, it feels like, You know, back in 1902, we were living a different way, but it was only eight years ago.
0: (laughs) You got, and you guys shifted it. I mean, we've, you know, obviously we've known each other since the beginning of that. And I remember, you know, doing panels with you and talking to you and it's like, having to explain what Netflix is, what, how yeah. it worked. yeah, Like, it just was,
2: it's so, but it, it wasn't shifted. that long ago. It wasn't yeah. that long ago. That's the thing. It's like, it feels like we've always had streaming. You know what I mean? Like, and it's like, it's it's not even been a decade, everybody. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we haven't even changed hair dyes yet since it's come out. You know, it's like, we're still on the same train, you know? So it's like... But it feels like it because it's so commonplace now, but right. it's totally changed and totally has a different energy to it. And I think that, that again, going back to this space of hope, that gives me hope. That something right. that at the time felt like, what is this? Why are we, what, what about appointment television? What are we all going <laughs> to do on Thursday if we're all watching at a different hour? And everybody, <laughs> you know what I mean? It turned out to be Burger King. You know what I mean? Have it your way. That's like everybody <laughs> loved it, you know? So it's like...
0: You know what I'm saying? Like, right? No, I, that's so, it's so weird to even hear you say that because that's so true. It's like the whole thing was like, but do you think people are just going to tune in when they want? <laughs> yes. Ridiculous. Like that's, like that's such a crazy thing.
2: Yes. And now Orange is the New Black is vintage television. V- vintage. Yes. <laughs> Hand me my teeth. Put me for the men. Like that. <laughs> like that. It's that, you know what I mean? But yeah, yeah like it, the industry does shift. And I think like, I think of all of these things, like my hope is that it is style and not trend. You know, that's the thing. Like as we put up these amazing statements and say that we're in support for of change and inclusion and now, you know, really what's being sought after is, uh, real equity, like as we're saying these things, let it not just be a cool sign and a fierce picture. Let it be action behind it that is style, everlasting style, you know, like right. a Chanel suit will never go out of style. A crisp button down white <laughs> shirt will never go out of style. A fabulous red lipstick will never go out of style. Ashen wash jeans are a trend. <laughs> <laughs> Birkenstocks are a trend. Do you understand? No, Bob, do not start with my Birkenstocks. <laughs> I have them too, but I'm not sure if in 10 years from now I'm going to be wearing them. You know what I mean? Right. And right. I want all of these things that we're seeing shift be styles and not trends. Right. I mean, this is entertainment, for goodness sakes. It touches in culture. It should be the forward-moving thing.
0: What I'm curious is, do you find yourself being creative during this time? You know, I spoke to Kenya Barris and he said he had trouble writing at the beginning. He wasn't inspired. But then I've spoken to other people who say, this has inspired me. I've sat down and written and, you know, things like that.
2: It has inspired me, I will say. Um, it has inspired me. It's, it's upped my um, energy. I think um, it's, dr- it's, it's, if I'm being really honest, it has reignited my passion. Um, In a way that was there or maybe had dimmed some, Mm. but it's Mm -hmm. like the flame in my stomach is hotter somehow. Mm. Um, Mm. I think also it's made me it's made me think about. It's made me think about what everything I've kind of, not even kind of, everything that I have said and meant and wanted before in terms of worth and being enough and not changing myself in any way. If this makes sense at all, It has made that for me as an artist and a visible person even understand that even more as a form of activism, Mm. that my work in that way is activism, that um, it's even more important now to really hold on to that and love Mm. it. And stand firmly, straight, long neck spine in it. Because because I am a visible person, my job now is even, that my work is at my activism. and, And holding space in that way, because for every person who has tried to fit their circular self into a square you know Um, to feel less invisible like that I don't know how to even fully frame it but that it's become almost like the driving charge when I Mm. look at scripts now and read and write and what I as an artist want the work I want to be seen in and Mm -hmm. the stories I want to tell. And Mm -hmm. is this giving visibility to people or is this making us, helping to keep us in an invisible place?
0: And when you look back at Arms new, the New Black, (laughs) talk about activism, Poussey. Fusay is murdered by a correction officer with his right. knee on her kind back, her and literally, yeah. And what what happened at the prison? There was an uprising, and there was protest. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty, but, but as we know, you know those stories are not new.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: No, it's not surprising that the New Black had that storyline. But when I think about that, and I remember watching the episode and being tearful.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: now look at where we are
2: today. That's right. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the power of art, isn't it? You know, yeah. like it's the reason why. You know, when when the when the trouble comes, as they say, <laughs> trouble no come, as they say in Nigeria. <laughs> like it's like it's like as the, when the trouble's coming, it's the first thing that people try to block, right? Right. Because it can inspire. And it can and it tells the truth when done well, it tells the truth, yeah, and holds that mirror up. It's a hard time to look at it sometimes, but right. it holds it up. and um yeah, we see everything from I mean, in that storyline down to the storyline, you know, our final season of yep. immigration here in America, you know, and then flash forward, people were like, this almost like, how did she write Genji write this story <laughs> out? And now here we are looking at like, these ice prisons, you know what I mean? Like, right. and it feels like we're happening in real time, but that's the power of art. And I think that's, that's what excites me of this time. Like, I don't know if everybody's sitting down, you know, and creating in this moment, some people are myself are feeling inspired. Some people are not. And I actually don't think there's anything wrong with that, no. but it's impossible. I'm so excited. I don't mean the day after we get out of here, but I mean, in the years to follow, cause we are all forever shifted. You know, like as we're turned, you know, we were here and as the planet (laughs) turns around, we're now going to be here, hopefully here. And it's like, what does that, what is going to be out of, born out of that? What ideas, what stories? It's going to be cool. I think it's going to be really, really great.
0: So let's talk Mrs. America. Okay. Which, as you know, I've told you, I mean, Fabian and I sat on the couch and just watched it one weekend. Like we just, we didn't stop. (laughs) Like, it's my, it's my, yes. that, it's my jam. I love American history like that. Yes, yeah. It's just, I love the the way it was told with each episode, the story of someone else, but everyone else was involved. Mm. What, what did you know about Shirley Chisholm going into the project? How much did you truly know about her? Did you have to do a deep dive?
2: I had to read, in terms of like her policy and things she had enacted, I learned more about that, um, Uh, In her work as as an actual, you know, political figure, um, congresswoman. Um, But the first time I'd ever heard her name was from my mom, because my mom was like a Shirley Chisholm. And like, you know, all I mean, and all I knew, like as a kid was, you know, like her talking about her. Uh, when wow. she came to America and being like, my fighting Shirley Chisholm, you know, like that was like, what, <laughs> I was like, she's mine, too. I don't know what that means, but like, and I don't even know who that is, but I'm fighting Shirley Chisholm, you know. And then um, when I moved to New York, I had bought this book called um, um, An African-American Century, and it mm-hmm. had was chronicling, you know, monumental figures throughout time. Um, And she had a chapter. And that was when I learned why she was such a historical figure and significant individual. And I had never and I did not know that she had run for president. And, you know, and I'm talking like we're standing maybe like right on the heels of, you know, an Obama uh, campaign bid. And so I was like, there was a black woman. You know what I mean? Like that, that sound, and she did it in the 70s, you know, like that even sounded crazier. Um, and then I did more of a dive. I was reading, um, I read a lot of her speeches, and I watched her documentary, Unbought and Unbossed. And I was really interested because a lot of the images and the YouTubes that I was seeing, you know, it's like, we know the hair and we know, you know, the glasses (laughs) and we know the loud clothes, we know all those parts of Shirley, (laughs) that fake symbolic, you know, image of her. But it was, um, it was, oh, she was always uh, like in the space of her exceptionalism that was required of her to even be considered for the office. Um, both that she held and that she was running for. And I, being familiar with, you know, this idea of Black exceptionalism, I'm I'm actually really more interested in, like, the person. Like, who is she when this hair comes off? And um, then um, I watched the documentary Unbought and Unbossed. And I don't know if you've seen it. If you see it, you should watch it. It's amazing because you Mm -hmm. really do understand, like, what mountain this woman was up against. And um, at the end, I'm talking like the end, like the last 10 minutes, it's where she's conceding uh, her delegates, releasing her delegates and going to concede. And she bursts into tears in her hands. Mm. And um, I just remember thinking like, oh, that's Shirley Chisholm. You know that, and there was another scene where she's dancing and she has this like fun personality inside her, and like a little, a little like, um, you know, like precocious smile always, like you know, that she gives, like she's laughing at something in her ha- head. But I remember when she was crying there, and I thought, like, that, that is Shirley Chisholm, and that is the person I'm interested in knowing because I can watch, you know, I, I can do this YouTube version of her that I'm seeing, but right. it's like, but. Who is the person? You know what I mean? Who is that person? Mm. So then it became like reading her speeches to really get a sense of what it was, her mission in doing all of this. And who was yeah. she? Who what, Who was she? Not just what did she represent, but who was she? So who was she? She was... Great question. <laughs> um, she was a woman who had an entirely different definition for herself than the definition the world tried to impose on her. Mm. You know, when you listen to her speeches, her speeches are all about possibility. You know, she was actually like the, I say like the original hope agent. I
0: was just going to say that.
2: (laughs) You know? (laughs) Um, And it's always about possibility. And when you start thinking about in the context of somebody who is serving in Congress in 1968, standing on the heels of the Civil Rights Voting Act, Civil Rights Act, assassination of Martin Luther King, right? Malcolm X, March on Washington, all these things are like happening in the same year and time. You start to realize how ballsy a thing... (laughs) running. Who gave you that idea? I know (laughs) not a neighbor. Like that's when you start to, you know, like you didn't look to woman X before you who did it. You know, there was no one who'd done it. Um, And so you start to realize the ideas that existed at that time for black women, for women, for black people, that whatever those limitations were, she she did not subscribe to those as truths and that then and and you know connected to her speeches that tells you the strength of that woman the metal that she's made of you realize the opposition she's up against daily pick a pick a box right. you know that she's 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 experiencing and i know what that feels like to feel like You know who you are and your definition of who that is and feeling like an entirely foreign definition is being sold to you Mm. of what you are capable of. And those aren't always easy days. You can go Mm -hmm. out into the world and have game face, but sometimes you go home and those can be hard days a heavy lift it's a heavy lift as long as she is it's a heavy lift and just trying to yeah can't even imagine it
0: if you could ask her one question what would it be Hmm.
2: i could ask shirley chisholm one question Do you think you did it all? Mm. Do you do all that you came here to do? I think she did. You know, it's a it's a really, uh, yeah, I would ask for that. Do you think you did it all?
0: It's really good. <laughs> so what was it like putting on that wig, putting on those clothes, the glasses, the bag, the little keels, <laughs> the- wa- it, the walk, the walk that you did it was just <laughs> the, the way you were walking through the halls. it was like, obviously I didn't know her, but it was just like <laughs> Uzo Uzo wasn't there
2: I was sure. no, I, thank you, but um, <laughs> i it was it was a lot you know our um wig uh supervisor ann Morgan, she was so great, she gave me um a practice week for surely before we started, you know, um, probably like two months before we started. And I was actually, the, the thing that I thought was so great, like, was like the idea of looking one way in the day and going out into the world in another. And it became like, that was like my practice in the morning would be putting it on, fixing something to your head, make sure it doesn't slide any which way, make sure it doesn't fall off, slip back, you know, all of this. And, um, then when you're taking it off, like the work of taking off and and then you uh, taking off the wig, excuse me, and realizing like, oh, this is her armor. No wonder why she had so much stuff on one to protect herself. Mm-hmm. And then to the other part, I was like, oh, you know, go, you know, going back to realizing who this woman knows who she is, it's like, oh, she had to wear these bold clothes Or else she would not be seen. She needed to wear this big of a hair. Or (laughs) people probably would not see her. Mm. They probably would not see her. Because if you even track women her age of the time, that was not what they were wearing. Mm. But she had to, she was bold. She was you know, big. She w- w- while still being graceful and gracious, but she was strong, you know, but she also was aware of the world in which she operated in. And she knew that she's about this big and she knew she <laughs> and she knew she needed to be not only heard but seen. Mm. It's important to be seen.
0: Did you ever go offset as Shirley? Like go to over to Starbucks?
2: Yes, but I didn't get out of the car. Uh, <laughs> 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 I <laughs> no, I didn't. I didn't really. On, on all honesty, I did. I, I didn't.
0: Cape uh, Blanchet. Oh, divine! I uh, what I kept saying about it was, she's Cape Blanchet. You can't forget yes. it's Cape Blanchet. But you forget it's Kate C- Blanchett. Yes. But it's Kate Blanchett. It's this weird, like. Yes. I don't know how to explain it in actor talk, but like she's Phyllis Schlafly. It
2: was genius. Yes. yes. But you knew it didn't matter that you knew it was Cape It No, and you
0: matter.
2: only pop out that you only pop out to know that it's Cape Blanchett to give her her props. That it's Cape Right. It's like I'm right. stepping out because it's like this woman is unbelievable. <laughs> like right. it's so, like I'm popping. I mean, yeah. I'm now like popping out for a minute to give you your applause because you deserve. Right. An, an, a, you're giving an eleven o'clock number version level performance. You know, right. um, she was. And is phenomenal, like brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. What did you know about Phyllis Schlafly? I honestly, I didn't know much about Phyllis Schlafly. The first time, if I'm being perfectly honest, I'd ever heard her name was when um, I heard that the current um, president was going to eulogize her. And I was like, who is that? And I, I, I didn't know. I had no idea and just like Googled, did a quick Google. Um, This was a couple years ago and I was like, oh, and it still didn't, you know, turn my ear. I love it. Uzo.
0: it's so good seeing you.
2: I hope we get to see each
0: other in person one day.
2: I know, when we're out of the shutter of the shutdown. See you, see Fabian. Stay well, stay safe. You too, take care, stay hopeful.
0: That was Uzo Aduba. I'm going to take a short break, but when I return, Hollywood newcomer and star of Unorthodox, Shira Haas. I'll be right back.
1: Do you ever wish you could get more from your podcast? Well, you can with BuzzFeed Daily, hosted by me, Casey Rackham.
2: And me, Zach Safford. On our show, we've got more good news and more pop culture. More memes and more celebrity tea. More of everything that's blowing up your timeline and trending on the internet.
1: Every weekday evening, we're giving you more of what you need to enjoy your day. Because what's life if it isn't to be enjoyed?
2: Listen to BuzzFeed daily on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Welcome back to the Big Ticket. Shira Haas is twenty-five years old and lives in Tel Aviv. But when the world is right again, we'll be seeing a lot more of her in Hollywood. Haas stars in Unorthodox as Esty, an Orthodox Jew in Brooklyn who flees her Hasidic community for a different life in Germany. Unorthodox was an instant hit when it premiered in March. I recently caught up with Haas from her home in Israel.
3: How are you? how are you doing? Oh good, all oh, good. Um day by day
0: <laughs> where is tel aviv right now in terms of lockdown and quarantine
3: uh well it's, it's it's better now you can say places are opening and people are going outside with masks of course and but places are open now there are still people that get sick so there's like a, people are afraid that there might be like a second wave but i hope it will stay. i mean it will get better all over the world and also here um yeah and that's it are you in in l.a in l.a, or LA, in
1: LA oh. yeah.
0: so now you have to wear a mask when you're outside in l.a it's mandated yes. by the government
3: yes
0: um and they're worried about a second wave because numbers are up it's just it's so unpredictable we just we have yeah. no we keep trying to say like this will happen in september or august and we literally have no idea it's
3: crazy so let, really
0: so let's talk about you yeah <laughs> first, first <laughs> okay, of all if we have to <laughs> first of all you did that wonderful q a with jessica chastain and she is absolutely one of my favorites um
3: here.
0: <laughs> i met her she had just finished the help and i didn't even know what the help was wow, wow. um and i've spent a bunch of time with her i was at the maui film festival with her at one time in hawaii so She's definitely, she's definitely my people.
3: Yes, yeah, same here. Really, only love. <laughs> I mean.
0: So, so you you grew up in Israel. When do you decide yeah. I want to be an actor?
3: Uh, pretty late. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I was I was a very shy child, believe it or not. Even if it's hard to believe, <laughs> I mean, I was I was into writing and I loved watching movies and I loved theater, but I never thought I'll be like in uh profession of like being in the center of attention, right? <laughs> I was really shy. Uh, going on stage seemed like an uh, awful thing for me. It's like, I don't know, shows that we did in, in school and stuff like that. Uh, but then I went to a theater major in high school um, and I really loved it. And, but it was more of a hobby, you know, something like that. And then a casting director approached me Um, On Facebook, actually, Uh, that's not a good message, maybe, but that's the truth. (laughs) Uh, When she was, yeah, she was really, really known. One, I googled her, so it's safe. Uh, And she was casting a movie, Uh, and I didn't have agents, I didn't have anything, but she just told me that you see that I studied this major, and she thinks that it can work out. And I went there, and it was my first movie. It was Princess. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> and that's how I got into it. And after that, I had my agent finally, and, and the audition after was for Cecil. Um, and also after that, I got a lot of no's, right? But that was kind of like <laughs> the magical beginning. Um, and I really fell in love with it. I think in Princess, in the first movie that I did, I really like, it was kind of like I always say, that I feel like it's Narnia, you know, the door that's open. I'm like, oh so that's what i really want to do i mean i was 16 and a half and it was a very powerful experience really an amazing director so yeah is
0: this was this anything that was in your family or your family in the arts anybody an actor singer musician
3: no (laughs) no i mean my my whole family and my mom especially she really loved Uh, movies and theater and I always from a very young age we went together to some shows and musicals and we watched movies together so it was always there but not like as a profession not at all um but they were super supportive I feel like I always felt like I mean my mom I mean it was always kind of like a, a her dream that in a way that she didn't do to do something with it and she never pushed me to do anything never never but the fact that I kind of like wanted to do it she was really supportive and amazing and my father as well I mean as long as I'm happy they're happy so I have a really great parent really.
0: (laughs) So you're 16 years old this casting director hits you up on Facebook what do you what do your parents think what do they say?
3: First of all it's something like who is who's this lady what the hell you know (laughs) and I remember I didn't I didn't it's such a long time ago but I remember I didn't answer her because it was and then like a day or two after she wrote me, listen, I'm, I'm serious. You can see my previous work. And I, I, and I searched it and I saw her. pro I mean, I, I, um, I did my research to understand that it's uh, a real person, <laughs> as, you know, and my parents as well. And they were involved. And then I just went to this audition. It was basically the first um, on-camera audition that I did. And I guess it it worked. <laughs> uh, yeah, and then I had also, of course, more stages after that, like a callback and chemistry test, and I met the director. Um, but yeah, <laughs> that was the beginning.
0: So obviously, you've had huge success in Israel as an actor, but then comes along, Unorthodox. Yeah. <laughs> Can you even? Were you even able to prepare yourself for the phenomenon? You know, my husband and I rewatched it in one weekend. I mean, you just couldn't stop. Were you prepared for the attention and the, it just became this moment that everyone was talking about it?
3: No, no. (laughs) You know, I took part in this project and I knew it's the lead role for Netflix. So of course I had like butterflies and I was so excited and I had my dreams and my hopes, but I also always have, when I start a project, I immediately, and I swear it's true, I, I forget that eventually it will get to people. I mean, which is funny because we were doing it to get to people, right? But when I work on something, I'm so concentrated and you have so many days and so many long days so I I'm always forget about that, but here especially, I mean, I always believed in the show and in the character, of course, but the amount of comments and love and attention is beyond what I even dreamed of in the beginning when I got the news that I got the role. I mean, I was not expecting that at all. No, <laughs> no. I mean, I thought, I mean, I thought, I believe in the show and I thought it will work so very well. And I, I hoped it and I knew it would get to people not only Jewish or religious, but to more people, because I always felt like this story is universal. It's not necessarily about specific or to, to specific people. But the, the amount of range and different people, different ages, different everything, is just, it, it's really beyond what I expected, I must say. I wish I was cool <laughs> enough to say, yeah, of course, yes.
0: No, no it's good that saying. you don't say that. Um, no. When, when you auditioned first, did you know it was for Unorthodox? Had you read Deborah's book? Where? Because I, if I'm remembering correctly, Amit told me that he didn't know what he was.
3: I didn't know. I didn't yeah. know. I didn't know. I mean, uh, they just told me that there's, I think, I mean, of course, I mean, told you, but they told me audition for a TV series called The Orchestra for a German network um, platform. So I was like, okay, cool. Let's see. <laughs> and I read the scenes and I thought it's amazing. Um... So I went there and I did it and I felt good and I I thought the dialogues were amazing and I enjoyed playing it. And then a few days later, I got a phone call from my agent and she was like, "Okay, so they loved you. They're coming to Israel in a few days and um, it's for Netflix. It's called Uh, Unorthodox. That was like, I remember exactly where I was and what time it was when I got this call.
0: Where I was so, so where where were you and what time
3: was it? Uh, okay, so I was in my car. Uh, <laughs> I, I was about to meet my friend, and I just parked my car, and I got this phone from her. So I was like, "Yeah, let's answer it." And then I got it, and I was like shocked. And I, I remember going to my friend, and I—I I mean, I just told her that, even though I wasn't allowed to. Now I can say it, but I just <laughs> told her the truth, <laughs> and she was very, very supportive. Um, but I was very, very excited, and then. Also, yeah, a few days later, almost a week later, Maria Schrader and Alexa Karolinski and Anin Kam, the director and the crea- creator and the producer, uh, came to Israel and we've met. And it was amazing. It was I felt like it was a workshop because it was like three days that I had some chemistry tests with like uh, Yankees and Yael's and Babis, you know, <laughs> and it was not yet 100% official, but it was there Almost. you know right yeah well, it, <laughs> unspoken wise something like that um and it was so amazing and it was like a boot camp in a way and i had such a great connection to maria yeah we had such an emotional days of uh, auditioning together i remember it was raining in israel and i remember after the third day she was about to fly back to berlin I went out and she came after me. It was like a scene from the movie. <laughs> and she was like, thank you, it was amazing. It will be good, something like that. And I was like, oh my god. Because <laughs> that's how I felt like it's happening. Um, and how, after that, it, it, it was uh, a few days later, I think it was pretty much official, and Amit as well, and everyone, and it was, yeah. yeah so, and the uh, preparation started, yeah. <laughs> well,
0: Amit told me, though, um, I guess it was maybe the night before your audition, the two of you got on the phone and you did the first date scene in Yiddish. Yiddish. Tell me about that.
3: So, First of all, the Yiddish thing, I mean, (laughs) I don't know Yiddish before. um, And I got the audition on the first round when I thought it's the orchestra and it was told there, the scenes are supposed to be in Yiddish, but you can also do it for the first round in English. So, of course, I did it in (laughs) Yiddish. I mean, why not, right? Obviously, I asked someone that I know to record it, and I just learned it, and it was really fun. Um, And then uh, they also looked for young kids, you know, and I had some chemistry tests, and and Amit is, like you know, he's a good friend of mine, um, and I heard he told me that he's doing this audition and that he was told that he's going to be with me. And I was like, oh, my God. And then we were like, we have to meet. We have to talk on the phone. But since it was a short note, we did it on the phone. Otherwise, we would just sit together and do it. And we just went on the phone, and it was like and beneath the other. You know, like <laughs> we did. <laughs> it was so bizarre, um, and in a weird way, even on the phone when he, I didn't see him, but I just felt his voice. It felt so right and so natural.
0: What do you like about Esty?
3: Oh, hmm what's not to like right uh, <laughs> um every time someone asks me like uh if I'm similar to her I always answer that I hope um I really think that she's, even though she comes from uh, difficult you know circumstances and uh, community regarding her needs I think that she's very very present you know she's really in the here and now which we always we really know about it and we talk about it and we read books about it and we go to psychologists and things but she's without knowing it she's really she she really aware of her feelings right she really mm. knows what she feels she really knows what she wants She really know when she doesn't want something and that's also her curse in a way right because in a world that you need to just fit in Mm. It's hard to have like questions and and to be aware of what you feel all the time. So I think that's such an amazing ability to have as a human being in in general to be so aware of it. And I also love the fact um, that she's so complex because even when I got like one scene or two scenes in the beginning in the audition, I felt like wow, like she's both very strong and tough, but also so vulnerable. And she also wants to fit in, for so want she doesn't want to be there and she's very like gentle but you know she's like everything is in, in contrast in a way mm-hmm. um and that's something you need to bring to every sentence almost in this character and I think that's what makes a character and also a person very very um interesting and I just love it about her and her curiosity and her um generosity and just yeah, she's pretty
0: awesome. <laughs> How much um, responsibility did you feel, you know, you, you're depicting a community that, you know, is very, um, you know, they're in their bubble. They're in, you know, even like I said, I'm from New York, but it's, they're separate communities. How do you, what kind of, as an Israeli, as a Jew, do you feel a responsibility to portray it correctly? Because it's, you know, it's an easy thing to just really show the extremes. Where could, yes. and that could be, I think, irresponsible. Because um, yeah. there are beautiful parts of being in a community where, you know, you're not worried about the outside world. So, how, how, how much responsibility did you feel to the Satmar community to, to, to do them right? A lot. Yeah. Uh,
3: it was a never ending discussion uh, in the production, in, in me that I shared also with the creators and the director. I mean, you need to root for the lead character in a series. You need to understand her struggles, that's of course. But at the same time, you need to understand, like, to see the whole picture, to show, um, to have empathy to, this, to the place that she's coming from. Also, also, because, of course, it's more interesting as a story when something is not black and white, it's boring. But also, moral wise, I feel as a Jewish maybe, as an Israeli maybe, as a person, I don't know, I felt responsibility to bring like, yes, to say something, to have uh, to have something to say because we're doing art and that's part of it and it's important not to be scared of and I, I don't think you ever need to be scared but at the same time you need to have a, a moral vision and sensitivity because it's real people and also like you said because I think that there are uh, beautiful sides to show, and that there are complexity, and that there are so many like both sides of the coin. So it was always very, very important um for us to do that, also to show Essie happy for a while, even like in the wedding or in the first meeting with Yankee that she have she has hope, or with some things with Bobby, you know, and to show kind of like the family together in in scenes, and just to bring some of it um, and also when she goes to Berlin that it won't be like totally woo, happy right. and stuff but, but also to have like longing to her previous life and when she's going through this journey and finding herself you know, at the end of the audition she sings the song from the wedding mm-hmm. I mean she's praying she finds her own God it's not about this community is bad God doesn't exist no it's about this is it and I'm finding God with, inside of me you no know, it's not about good or bad and it was so important for me. I also have religious people in my family, and in general, I, I hate generalized people. Right. So I really don't like it. I, I have like allergy when people <laughs> do it in general. So yeah, it was definitely a, a huge thing for me.
0: And then you have your bedroom scenes with a meat. Yeah. with a meat. He told <laughs> me there, He told me there was um some laughing going on when you were first in bed together um how uncomfortable were you comfortable this is someone you've known for 10 years he's a friend (laughs) how do you even go there
3: uh you know it's always a question i mean i'm an actress i had like intimacy scenes before you know Mm -hmm. it's not the first one that i had but every time it Still, um, even if you know the person before, even if you don't know, it's kind of like a stage that you need to go through to feel comfortable, right. you know, to talk about things or not to talk, but just to feel comfortable to like be you and to say stuff and to act without thinking too much. Uh, I think the fact that I knew Amit was really, really helpful. Mm. We always laughed that we kind of have like had like our secret language. You know, we talked Hebrew, so no one understood Right. Mm. They know they know German and some Yiddish <laughs> and English but no one understands us. So wow. it was kind of a, Yeah. So we always had this and we had our laughs together and we were also very professional. Of course it was embarrassing in a way. And I mean we did the first take and we were so serious and into it and then they said cut and we really started laughing. And I think I'm a very mature person, I'm not easily embarrassed, but we just started laughing. I don't know, it's a mid. Above me, I mean, everything, and we're German and English and Yiddish, and we're talking in Hebrew, so the whole thing was just surreal. And we started laughing.
0: Um, and I know you've talked about it a lot, but I do have to ask you about the head shaving okay. and your face during that was so real. Yeah. How much did you sit there and grieve while it was happening?
3: you know the truth is like somewhere the answer is somewhere in the middle I guess I mean like I said it was on the first shooting day um, and first thing was the Mikva scene so it was it's not like the beginning was easier anyway and then there was the shaving scene so I was like it was one heck of the beginning and I started a new production and I'm very very excited and I want it to be good and I'm happy to do this thing because I, I was ready for it a long time. I knew about it a long time before, you know, and even right. in the audition process. Um, at the same time, I always had, like, the longest hair. I never cut my hair. Never. <laughs> I always had, like, the princess longest. Really, longest. Um, and I love my hair. And it's scary. And I, I don't know. And how does my, even my head shape look like underneath everything together? So even me and Sira, before we started filming it, I really felt like... Um, Nervous and scared, alongside excited, just like FD in a way. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, but then when we arrived on action, I remember Maria schrader told me, I think it was a few hours before, a day before. She was like, I know that you love to be prepared for scenes, which I do. But she was like, <laughs> don't be prepared for it too much because there's no right and wrong in that scene. All of the emotions that will come are correct. And she's right, because, you know, you you see like 20 seconds of this scene on the episode, but it was like eight minutes nonstop, right? Two, right. two cameras, one take, that's it. So um, I just had like the roller coaster of emotions. And of mm-hmm. course, it was also real, but the fact that it was real, but the fact that I was also in control and it happened when I see it, there's a mirror in front of me and it takes time, like eight minutes, so I felt so comfortable to also play with it, you know, to tune it up here for for a while and here, I mean, it was a combination of what I felt and also like the control that I felt during that scene.
0: When did you realize that unorthodox was the phenomenon that it was?
3: You mean in like success and attention-wise?
0: Yeah, yeah. Ah. Uh,
3: w- uh, uh, w- when, I mean, I don't know if it was like one second that I realized it. It was kind of like, not in the first few days, because in the first few days, it's just, it's happening. It's, or it's there in, on Netflix. You don't really end it. You're like, yeah, I have it on Netflix, you know, but that's it. Um, and it's happening and you're posting and you hope that as many as many people as possible will see it. But then, I think after a week, I started getting so many messages and so many also new followers on instagram really and like also so many um, emails and compliments from uh, stuff from like the industry as well and also press and pr stuff uh, that got there and boom reviews also the reviews i mean all of it together kind of like I mean, there were like great reviews also on the TV series and also for the performance, and God. And I was like, yeah, okay, so the critics love this. But so, I mean, it's amazing, it's a lot, but it doesn't say about the people. And then also I got, the, you kind of felt the people. So it was kind of like a week or two of like understanding that it's kind of like exploding. Right. It wasn't one second, but it was like every day, it was like, whoa, whoa. <laughs> and I, I, it was really to my phone because... You know, I was at my home, like right. all of the world, right? So, yeah, <laughs> that was also interesting. Yeah.
0: And so now you have 397,000 followers on Instagram.
3: But who counts, right?
0: I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so, what it, What was your count when you started on Orthodox? And then
3: it was like 20,000, I think. Yeah. Yeah. We know
0: you're a cancer survivor. Um, you have grandparents who were in the Holocaust. Those are two traumatic um, events in anyone's life, whether obviously you weren't there with your grandparents, how did that, how did being a cancer survivor, you were so young, but how does that impact you? Especially when you said that your parents, I think every parent is like this, they just want you to be happy. Yeah. And my parents always wanted me to be happy. But I imagine it takes on another level when they knew their daughter was a cancer survivor when she was just two years old.
3: Yeah, well, it I started when I was two, it finished when I was about uh, four or five. Um, yeah, I always say when people had asked me like, how did, oh, wow, you're such a hero, you know, how did you do whatever. I always say that I think that the heroes are actually my parents, you know. Um, I mean, rem- I remember stuff, lots of stuff, but I don't have like a chronological right. uh, events, you know, in my head, because I was really, really young. Um, and they're the big heroes, I think. Um, you know, it made me who I am in a way. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I can't say like my life before and after like a lot of other cancer survivors. Right. Because it's, it's, I, I mean, it's also interesting because I really kind of like, I, I know myself like the beginning of my life. I, I feel like it started there in a way, you know. I don't mm-hmm. have like a before. That's like the opening right. point for me. And I don't say it in a bad way. I think it's really, I mean, of course, I'm not thankful for that. But I'm thankful for what it like brought to me. I think, I don't know what would happen without it. But it really made me who I am as a person, I think. I was like a mature child. I was like a 40-year-old when I was eight, you know. (laughs) And I wrote stuff so deep. I mean, I saw a letter that I wrote when I was about 11 and I'm like, Calm down, girl, you're just 11. <laughs> you <know? laughs> um, and yeah, and I think it also helped me as an um, actress as a well, as, as, in a way, I mean, to I was, I'm was i still young, but even when I was 16 and I had yeah. to play in Princess, a very tough role. I think that I have the maturity, maybe above my age, to relate, to understand pain or to understand the character. Mm. And maybe it still does help me. Um And as for my parents, I mean, I think, I don't know, to see me, I mean, doing what I love and actually doing it, I mean, uh, getting good response to it. And I don't know, I think it brings them a lot of uh, life and love. And I don't know, I mean,
0: so what? So what did you write in this letter when you were 11 years old?
3: (laughs) (laughs) Come on, when you're a child and you're going to like scout, right? When you're like um, Like Girl
0: Scouts, like Girl Scouts, like like camp like camp summer like camp? camp
3: but but it's like it's not summer camp it's like every week anyway it's yeah. boys and girls like together youth, it's nothing special like a youth like, group
0: like a youth group yeah. Kind of thing. yeah yeah
3: i'll find the word and i will, okay. I will forward it to you for that okay. if you want to use it anyway i went there and i never did go there but i remember one time i was like a friend of mine told me to go to come and i was like okay uh, and that was actually the first time that it was a very special, like, assignment that they wanted you to do. Like, they wanted you to write um, a note to yourself in 10 years from now. And you're 11? Really, you're
0: 11? Yeah. And they wanted you, you
3: to do that? Yeah, I mean, nothing, like, too deep. But just find yourself something, you know? <laughs> and I guess a lot of people just wrote, like, What's up, you know, I don't know, <laughs> but that's what I did, <laughs> and I took it so seriously, and um yeah, I saw it like I don't know I don't know, not too long time ago, uh, which is more than 10 years, I'm 25 <laughs> um, and I just write this stuff like, I hope you're happy, you know, I hope that you find a place that you, you feel peace. I don't, I don't, I, there's not even one word of, like, acting, nothing. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote about writing, I wrote about photography, because I love uh, to do it. I, I asked if I study psychology, and I was like, no, actually, no, you know, yeah. Wow. And, yeah, a lot of, like, deep stuff, and about my parents, and about, you know, like, questions, like questions. So, some of the questions I still have now, you know, <laughs> but just maybe in a different language a little bit. And it was, like, very amazing to see it, yeah.
0: And what about <laughs> I your I wanted grand- to
3: hug myself, yeah, <laughs> oh. <laughs> in a <way. laughs>
0: what, what, what about your gran- Your grandfather was a Holocaust survivor? Yeah. How did um, that... My
3: grandparents, actually, oh. yeah. My, my mom's parents,
0: my mom's wow. parents. Wow. How does that... I mean, I know you can't sum it up. I, mean, I can't even believe I'm asking it, but how does that yeah, inform you? And then to do a role like Unorthodox is...
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also had the zookeeper's wife, right? Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, my grandf- my grandfather is an Auschwitz survivor, and my grandmother, mm. she's a survivor from Hungary, which is interesting because also Bobby and also in probably is- she's Bobby and also Deborah's Bobby, they are from Hungary. I mean, Satmar mm. comes from Hungary, so it's it's crazy. Um, I mean. I don't know. It was always something that's important for me to talk about, you know, especially when the years go I'll, I'll talk about in a second but it was always something that is important for me to talk about because this subject, because I feel like as the years gone by, I mean I have only one grandmother that's left, She and this one, and she's 90-something. It's something that's always, always like unbelievably important for me and also this year we had like the, the Holocaust Day also in the I mean we had we also did kind of like a, a zoom with my grandmother with my grandmother, yeah, on the Holocaust of Memorial Day and also in the Fed and in Passover. So it's also challenging. I found myself year after year trying to Hi. Yeah, finding the way to still do that. And as far as I know, of course it came to my mind and I remember I came to my grandmother, I think she was actually back then. She's okay now, but she was back then in the hospital mm. and Uh, And we just just went there and I talked to her about this project. Well, I never said it in an interview, but I talked to her about this project before it was official that I'm doing it. And she gave me a ring and she told me that um, this one will give me like luck and that she really hopes that I will get this role and she feels that I'm going to get it. And this was kind of like her ring that she has for like, I don't know how many years. We're talking about 30 or 40 or something like that. Right. Crazy number. And I was so emotional. Also because of the gift and what she wished for me. But also because, I mean, when I told her about the show and what it is about, she was just so happy. And I told her it, it's been filmed in Berlin, which of course, I mean, I, I love this city, but for, I mean, for her it might be more difficult maybe. Yeah. So, and she was just completely positive. And she just was so proud of me that I'm gonna go there, that I'm gonna shoot it, and just, she's really Mm -hmm. like one of the people that are, like ST in a way, but very different, like most important to me. So that was, this was everything. And it's Um, on me since, ever since.
0: This was amazing. It was so nice meeting you. Hopefully maybe you'll be here for the Emmys, if there is an Emmys, because I know you can't say.
3: (laughs) I uh, don't know. no one can say can someone right. say right. <laughs> only what, he can say <laughs>
0: But what, is, what does that feel like to hear when people say that you're a shoe in for an emmy nomination
3: crazy <laughs> <laughs> no really the fact that it's a discussion is amazing and finger crossed i wish you know who knows
0: and will there be yeah, a season know will we see a season two
3: um, I don't know. I can give you the creator's number. <laughs> I love that. I mean, I, as far as I know, it was always planned to be one season, and they're not planning to do a second season. But, I mean, the answer is always who knows?
0: That was Shira Haas. Unorthodox is available on Netflix. We have one more guest for you today on The Big Ticket. Coming up after the break, Golden Globe winner Matt Bomer talking about the time he was up to star in Call Me By Your Name. And he also talks about shaving his head on camera. Welcome back to The Big Ticket. I'm your host, Mark Malkin. Matt Bomer is truly one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. So I have to say it wasn't easy watching him betray a serial killer in the second season of The Sinner. But he was able to make me forget how sweet he is by playing Evil and Twisted so well. I chatted with Bomer from his home in Los Angeles.
1: Hi.
0: Hi. How are you doing in all this craziness? Uh, You
1: know, um, day by day, you know, look, we have so much to be grateful for. Um, I'm trying to remember that at the beginning and end of every day and not get sucked into the constant news cycle. I mean, I'm trying to balance like completely burying my head in the sand and um, actually not getting sucked into a really unhealthy news cycle, uh, which I, I think is tricky. And you know, Trying to stay productive and, and keep the kids educated—it's definitely tricky because uh, they learned a different style of math at their school called Singapore Math, <laughs> um, which we were never taught. Two plus two
0: equals four.
1: It's—it's <laughs> it's all about grouping things into fives and tens. I know this is fascinating conversation, Who knew? but it's—I it, wasn't—I wasn't taught that, so I know how to solve some of their math homework algebraically, but I don't know how to do it. Um, using wow. the methodology they're supposed to. So <laughs> it's been interesting, you know, um, but they've been such troopers and, uh, you know, so we've been just trying to, you know, use this time to really grow together as a family. And, and to, uh, for me, I've certainly tried to make it a time when I can help out in any way I can and, and reach out and connect people and reunite with people, all those things. So what are you binging? What have you binged? Oh my gosh, not nearly enough, you know, and you might be surprised <laughs> um, Well, I would say my two favorites that I've been, and I know I'm really late to the party on one, was uh, Years and Years, um, the mm-hmm, Russell yeah. Davies show from the BBC yeah. that came over to HBO. I love that show. Yeah, that's great. I, I thought it was such bold, audacious storytelling mm-hmm. um, that you just don't see every day. No. Uh, and the performances were great. Uh I also really loved the last dance. Um that Bulls franchise. Yeah,
0: F- Fabian has been I'm not I'm just not a I'm just not a sports fan. And I know that it's not just about sports, but Fabian he's such a basketball fan. So he's like, "Mark, I watched all these games. I know about all these games." And I'm like Okay. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, no, it was a huge part of my childhood. So to get to be right. back behind the curtain and have all these players—I mean, they got everybody to weigh in—and the footage they got is yeah. just insane. It's incredible.
0: Um, I know he
1: kept so saying he's I, like,
0: "When could you get me the last episode?" I was like, "I don't know anyone at ESPN. It's not my beat." <laughs>
1: <laughs> and we finished Shit's Creek. We finished. Um, what's uh, Dead to Me? Well, we're on Dead to Me now uh which i really
0: like we just started that we just started uh season two yeah season two
1: but Um, i went on a real like 80s like 70s 80s like hal ashby mike nichols binge too so i would say those movies were just as important to bolster me as uh binging a show
0: i know we're we're such bingers we like we'll watch one or two episodes and we did we I don't know if it's the addicts in us, but we get addicted and we're like, we've got to watch it now. We've got to watch it now. What do you I have,
1: have a running a <laughs> note card here? So what do you have for me? Okay. Unorthodox. Unorthodox. On Netflix.
0: It's only four episodes. It's this Shira Haas who plays the young woman is mesmerizing. She's absolutely you cannot take your eyes off of her. Well, and the guy who plays her um, husband, also Israeli, his name is Amit Rahav. I just actually did the podcast with him. Young, openly gay actor from Israel who's well, gorgeous. And it's just this fascinating story. Um, what else have we been? We've been binging work in moms. Have you watched? Simon
1: that? is obsessed with it.
0: Oh, obsessed. Matt, it's just last night I was tweeting. I'm like, Catherine um, Reitman is. A genius. Yeah. She's, we literally, like, laugh out loud, like one of those. Wow. Um, have been watching that. What else did we binge recently? I know we binged, uh, got some new show. We're Here, which is the new drag queen makeover show. Yes. The yeah. three queens, yeah. Yeah. Um, then we just watched two episodes. It's not out yet called Legendary, which is a ballroom competition show. So it's oh, like pose, competition. What else we about? Defending Jacob was good. And then we binged Sinner. You did? dude. Yes. <laughs> That's nuts. We yeah. were like, we were super, literally, we were so into it. We were, literally, I think it was last week. We ran right through it. Oh, wow. And I guess I'll just ask you, like, how do you play someone so
1: dark? Uh, well, I think the first thing you do is become, figure out how to become that character's defense attorney, and and uh, mm. you're so I was so lucky to get to work with someone like Derek Simons who is so thorough and so collaborative, and so informative and and there for you if you need him, and um, just building the backstory that led up to when we first meet him, so that once once we started filming, I was only ever hopefully seeing the world through his eyes without putting any kind of judgment on it about what's right and wrong mm. or criminal or, you know, legal or any of those things. Um, cause I think once, once you start to get in your head that way, you, you can really, um, <laughs> get in your own way. Um, right. so, and I think Derek did a really good job of orchestrating that for me and, and, and sort of being a partner in crime. Throughout it, so that we were only ever really seeing the world through Jamie's eyes.
0: Um, mm. So let's let's back it up. How did you how did you get involved, and how does so a, a series like this obviously it's different than the first season. And do you get all the scripts all at once so you know how the story played out, or is it sort of like episodic TV where you're sort of learning it as it goes?
1: It's a little bit of both. Um, I mm. had met with Derek years ago when he was involved in call me by your name and uh we'd hit it off creatively and and had a great conversation and um I was a huge fan of the show um from the first two seasons and uh I liked what it had to say about trauma and the need to sort of excavate trauma as opposed to repress Mm -hmm. it and the dangers of repressing it and how deep it went psychologically and uh what a challenge it was for all the actors involved uh and so we met and he he sort of laid out his initial thoughts for the season and those evolved over time um so the next step was going and meeting with the writers room a couple months later and then it was sort of fleshed out and boarded out into episodes and Mm -hmm. i had a little bit more intel as to who he was and what what the character's trajectory was going to be over the course of the season and then you know, I think we got the first two together mm-hmm. before we started filming and we and we um, block shot those. So we we filmed both those at the same time and then we oh. filmed three and four together at the same time. And then it was just sort of getting the script as we went.
0: Right. But I got to back up. though. You just said you met about
1: Call Me By Your Name.
0: Yes. Tell me about that.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I wish it were a really, you know, intriguing story. It's just that he was, he, I think, had done the original draft of the script and had the Mm -hmm. rights. And um, so we met very, I mean, this was years ago. I couldn't even tell you how many years ago it was. Way before it became, um, you know, the production it became. Uh, And uh, I just, I obviously love the material. I love talking with him about it. I thought it had real potential. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, and, uh, then he went on to do other things, and I went on to do other things.
0: So were you Army or Timmy? Army. Wow. Yeah. So you are not something. You knew it was good material. Yeah. So maybe you should be a producer.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think as an artist, you know, if if you're fortunate enough that you've been reading scripts for Right. <clears throat> number of years uh, <laughs> you you have a, a somewhat of a sense as to what is intriguing to you at least as an artist you know right. who knows about commercially right. and the zeitgeist that's always changing only you know you psychic people like Ryan Murphy <laughs> can predict that
0: <laughs> um, so you get the script you know obviously it has some trauma what and I don't know if there's an answer to this and maybe it's for us to um decide decide for ourselves, but what was that connection with Nick played by Chris Messino? What did he have on him?
1: It was a relationship that soothed a really profound sense of spiritual loneliness. It transcended Mm -hmm. friendship. It was a soulmate connection, but not in a sexual way. I think to to speak of it in sexual terms, though they did have a shared brief sexual history would be reductive. It was really more about two people whose um, prescribed, self-prescribed ethics soothed a wound that they both had. And so there was wow. a certain sense of loneliness that could only be relieved in the company of each other.
0: It was the, 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 the scene when you're cutting your hair and Chris is behind you, was just intense, you know? And obviously there's a chemistry soulmate, sexual friendship. There's the two of you had this chemistry that was just really intense. And, and I was sitting there and I was like, did I ever
1: have that with
0: anyone? That was so intense. I mean, I hope I wouldn't have something that turned into that, but that <laughs> obsession. Not. Cause, <laughs> but I felt like was Jamie obsessed with Nick or vice versa? Or
1: was it each other? And Both, was it I think it was part of Jamie's sort of arc of the season is that he slowly, you know, he was sort of the right-hand man to Manson, you know, and his journey right. over the course of the season that he's becoming Manson. Mm. So it's him becoming Nick. And that actually, not to toot my own horn, because it was a huge collaboration, they made it better than I ever could have, but that was actually my idea to do that scene um, oh, wow. and to have Nick be the one to cut your hair, which is a very intimate thing to do with somebody. Um, <laughs> and you're really grateful if you get to work with an actor like Chris Messina who's just game for anything. Um, although it, it's one of the fun things about working with Chris and Bill is that you never really know where the scene's going to go. Um, mm. and that's sort of what makes it interesting to work with them. And so that gets a little bit trickier when you're cutting your hair off, uh, when someone's really cutting your hair off because you only have so many takes. Uh, and we definitely did one it. one take. Yeah, we had a couple. I think we did <laughs> two or three different ways, but they were really very different. Uh, mm. And I think what they used was sort of a um, a hodgepodge of, of, of the different ones we did. But yeah, there was a profound sense of intimacy into it. And it's sort of what I wanted. I almost wanted it to be like a coronation, you know, mm. like, of him yeah. almost like um, baptizing me into, in yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: Um, and that was your real hair he was cutting off. That was my real hair he was cutting off. Because <laughs> my, 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 my Fabian goes, that's his real hair. He's cutting because obviously he's a hairstylist, so we know when people are wearing wigs, he's like, yeah. that's Matt's real
1: hair. Yeah. That's kind
0: of intense.
1: <laughs> it wasn't, t- I mean, at that point, I'd already lost like almost, 20 pounds and was mm-hmm. trying to go through this really dark transformation of the character so that he looked like just a shell of a human being by the end of the show.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And, uh, so it was important to, I think was an important, um, change for him to make to sort of complete that transformation. So it didn't bother me then it definitely, you know, it, basically I I had all kinds of patchy spots in my hair and they were all different lengths. I, you know, it was like a real self and credit to our, the amazing hair department there who did a a great job of finishing it up. But, um, it, when I finished, it was definitely not really something you could fix. And, you know, uh, it was definitely uh, took a while to grow into something that I could actually manage. Um,
0: what was it like with, with Bill Pullman, especially this character so in his head? It's very, there are so many shots of him just looking. Yeah. Where it's like his eyes are doing the acting. What's it like to do a scene with a character like that where it's so emotional and so intense, but it's two very closed down, shut off men? Yeah. Who really don't know? You know.
1: Yeah, I, that, I think that's a big part of what the season was about was male intimacy, and, and mm-hmm. the dangers of not being able to of holding things in, holding trauma in, holding uh, uh, your feelings about society, about other people in, and not being able repressing them instead of sharing them, and then and then even if it is a misguided opinion. Um, so. Uh, i mean look i love bill i I had done a film with bill where he played my father in flashbacks but i'd never gotten to work with him and i was like oh man i have just i've been such a huge fan of his stage work and his screen work
0: when are your kids allowed to watch a show like that with you in it i don't know how old old is the oldest now he's gonna be 15
1: next week yeah can you believe that i know 15. Not the most fun time to have a 15th birthday, but he's been a <laughs> real trooper about it, so I yeah. can't complain. Um, you know, honestly, I don't think they've even watched White Collar. So um, Really? No, hmm. I don't think they have. Or maybe an episode or two here or there. Um they yeah, all magic have the, <laughs> no although i found out that the twins snuck you know we were on an airplane and we were obviously not in the same seats and there are five oh, of us no. so we're not all in the same row and one of them tried to sneak it on the screen magic mic on the screen back i was like no no we are not starting there we're not starting there. um no i don't know you know i mean i guess my feeling is you know I, I always want to do the best work I can and have a great work ethic and try to set a good example for them and and hopefully make them proud. But I don't ever, um, as an artist, look at my work and go, necessarily, like, look, I would love to do a voiceover in an animated movie that they'd watch or a, a you know, Big Mouth or something like that. But yeah. it's. Uh, come on,
0: pitch it, pitch it. Yeah, come on, whatever you got.
1: <laughs> if you got something that's tween friendly, bring it on, people. Um, but I. I never look at my work as an actor, particularly things like this that I know are really deep dive that are going to challenge me in ways that I haven't been challenged before. And it, frankly, I, you know, when this was pitched to me and I'd watched the show, I, I thought, I, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I can mm. pull this off believably and I'm going to have to go deeper and try to grow as an actor to rise to the level of the show. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think, and when I take a job like that, or if I'm lucky enough to get a job like that, uh, it's not something that I think. um, I I guess I just think, well, if the kids one day want to watch it, I hope they're proud and they understand. And (laughs) if they don't, that's okay too. (laughs)
0: Um, And then, Boys in the Band.
1: Yes. Finally, going to see it. Yes.
0: On Netflix.
1: Yeah. Have you seen the final cut? I have not um mm-hmm. i've heard i you know i've had some friends who've seen it and um i'm very excited about it it was a great experience you know it's obviously so different to do a project on film than it is right you know it just is it's a very yeah. intimate medium and things that you could play you know that that play essentially plays out in one giant master there are more or less nine guys on stage the entire play particularly oh, Gemini, yeah so uh it to have it then turned into a film and li- lines that you used to you used to be able to take to the back of the rafters you know you can't do that <laughs> anymore um right. but i was really excited about it because there were aspects of, of my character in particular that joe and i were able to dig much more deeply into because he is the observer in the group mm. and that's something mm. that i think can play more on film as opposed to on stage when there are nine people on on stage at once and i think there were things that i that jim and i found in our characters relationships that that um we were able to deepen from the, the stage run so there, there were uh, it was great to have everybody together first of all and and really fun and kind of felt like it kind of felt like summer camp to be honest with you because we filmed it in mm-hmm. summer we all knew each other we had a good rapport we worked really hard during the day. We laughed a lot, um, but I think um, at the end of the day, I'm really excited to see how what we started on stage um, transformed a bit and then, and then came out on film. What do you want
0: audiences to get? Is it, is it part um, LGBT history? Is it a history lesson?
1: I think so. Absolutely. I mean, we don't have a lot of pieces, you know, this, this takes place in like a couple of months before Stonewall. Right. Right. So uh, there aren't a lot of pieces from that time. Um, and it's about that fever pitch. It's about that roiling, that anger that was suppressing itself. that was just about to explode and externalize itself and say, we can't do this anymore. Um, Mm. so I think, in terms of, of the material we have to look to, it's it's really it. Uh, I know mm-hmm. that there are people who have different opinions about the material and what it says about gay men at the time, but what I always try to remind people of is it's about a very specific group of men at a very specific mm-hmm. time. It never... Was sought out to encapsulate the entirety of the gay experience, right? <laughs> um, and so, I think Mark Crowley did us all a favor and had the courage at that time to put something time, like this together right. yeah. unapologetically, and to and to form these really well drawn characters who were all very different types. Um, I, I I think it's absolutely um, a piece of our our collective history that should should not be lost. You know who you look like now is, um, uh, Lucas Hedges. I, I, I can't be the only person who's told you that.
0: Fabian, when he cut my hair, he's like, you look so much like Lucas Hedges. Then I was talking to Caitlin Dever. I was doing a podcast. She's like, oh my God, I've always thought this. But even now more, you look like Lucas. Yes. <laughs> so yeah. I will play his father. It's
2: good. <laughs> In
0: a movie. <laughs> nice. Um, and now a fun question. Your first audition you ever went on, whether you got the role or not, what was it?
1: Okay, so I had two in one weekend and one job I got and one I didn't. Do you want to hear both or just <laughs> both. one? Yes, both. Okay. Oh, both. Oh, are, you, are you talking about like when I was a grown up or, or as a kid too? Whatever, whatever came to your mind just now. Okay, so I'll skip this stuff when I was a kid. Um, okay. I came very close to getting the Mickey Mouse Club, but that's a very different story. I would have been in that same class with, uh, maybe I should tell that I went on a cold yes. call, uh, in Houston with my best friend at the time, Lynn Collins, who's a very successful mm-hmm. actress, um, now yeah. as well. Uh, and I just sort of tagged along with her and they lined you up and you had to sing a song. I had no song prepared. So I just sang the same song that the girl in front of me sang. <laughs> <laughs> um which what was song do you remember? it was Eternal Flame by the Bengals. <laughs> um and then uh I basically just did this like I kind of made up this monologue on the spot for the comedic acting part or whatever. And I and I kept getting called back and called back and called back. I didn't have a headshot, I didn't ha- I had nothing. And um they called me and they were like, We think we're gonna bring you down to uh, was it orlando is that where they all were Yeah, orlando Yeah, Orlando see, yeah. for that like the, the screen test or whatever the final callback was and so i was so excited i had time to prepare i got like a real monologue together i i prepared a song and um i think i got called at the last minute and they ended up not bringing me down they're probably like who is this kid no one's gonna come with him like he'd be on his own um, but it was really exciting, and it would have it would have been in that same class with Justin and, and Brittany and Ryan and all those people,
0: and Kerry Russell,
1: yeah, and Kerry Russell, and Christina Aguilera, and Christina Aguilera. <laughs> it was tough competition, well, I, Mark. That sounds like it.
0: You went you went against Britney Spears, <laughs> yeah,
1: Gosling. I mean, come on. Oh, that's right. How old were you? I was in, I want to say I was in seventh grade. So what are you, 12? 13? 12, 12, 13. Yeah, 12, 13. 13, yeah. Wow. Yeah. You sang the bangles. <laughs> I sang the bangles' eternal flame. Uh, listen, what are you going to do? But look at you now. <laughs> look at me now.
0: Your life would have been much different.
1: Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> truly. Truly. I mean, I look back on all those early experiences where things didn't pan out, and I think, oh, my God, ultimately, for it the most part, for a reason. thank God.
0: Yeah, that's, I mean, and you get that with age. I mean, when you're in your 20s and something doesn't work out, you're like, my life can't go on. Yeah. And now I think about those moments. I'm like, thank God that happened. Yeah. <laughs> Someone yeah. was looking out for me. Yeah. Well, Mr. Romer, this is so much fun.
1: Yeah, stay safe, stay sane. Try, you too.
0: That was Matt Bomer. And that's it for today's episode of The Big Ticket. Coming up tomorrow, Oscar winner Charlize Theron will be chatting about her new movie, The Old Guard, homeschooling during quarantine, and so much more. Until then, follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Mark Malkin. And for all your up-to-the-minute Hollywood news, head over to Variety.com. Stay safe, be well, and don't forget to wear a mask. See you next time.